0: So we have a lot to cover, and as always, I ask that you listen. You don't have to agree with me, but listen to my logic. I might rock your boat a little bit. I'm not trying to. I'll say that my boat was rocked before, and I'll explain a little bit as we get into this. But... Again, I've updated. I have four huge word studies out there that I put out this week. Last night, the reason I was up so late, I was going through all 880 instances of the word call in the Old Testament of one Hebrew word. So that's out there for you, and I've highlighted the words even in there. So I I try to do that because it helps me. So you don't have to use any of it, but there's three Hebrew words there. Hopefully I'll be able to tell you what they are. But when you open it up, it'll be self-explanatory, even the name of it. But also, uh, there's one Greek word too, and I'll explain that as we go as well. And this is at the end too, and I have it at the beginning and end, but I can also give it to you whenever. So, why calling on the name of the Lord is for the saved, not the unsaved. Okay? And that's a pretty bold statement considering how people have used verses from Scripture, right? So I get that. And I know it, it sounds wrong right now. So just hang with me. I think you'll agree with me when I've done. <laughs> but if you don't, that's okay. Right? I just think it's worth talking about here. What's the deal? Oh, by the way, this is what we're trying to do every week. And 2 Timothy 2.15, most people think it's the Iwana verse, but it was written to a pastor, not to a child, right? A guy that had pastored for 20 years under uh, having worked with Paul. It says, Be diligent. This is what Paul is telling a guy who's been in ministry for 20 years. You be diligent. To present yourself or prove to God a worker who does not need to be ashamed. That's the natural outcome if you don't do the last part. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Which implies what? That last part. The word of God can be wrongly divided. Okay, you with me? And I believe that this passage that we're looking at tonight has been one of those passages by well-meaning people, including myself, in the past, okay? I'm not making fun of anybody. Here's the issue here. The issue is in Joel 2.32, Acts 2.21, and Romans 10.13. Joel 2.32 and Acts 2.21 are literally identical. I, I think so anyway, by me looking at maybe a comma or something. Um, the word that is supplied. It's not in the original text, right? And these are in Greek, uh, English from the Greek, but they quote, Acts 2.21 quotes it exactly there. And then Romans 10.13 quotes part of it, right? So it starts out with the whoever part. Okay? So that's what we're looking at. It's in the Bible three times in the New Testament as well, well, I guess it's Twice in the New Testament, once in the Old Testament, okay? So not very much, but it's there. Here's part of the catch here, right? People use it for what? Salvation Salvation verse, right? And I've heard it at every level. Pulpits, and I'm sure I've used it in the past decades ago now but i have i'm sure but it's in our curriculums it's in our tracks i've heard it from seminary professors i've heard it from bible college chapel right all of that and i'm saying what we hear we tend to what repeat that's not all bad but we have to understand what we're saying first okay So the question, when we say why calling on the name of the Lord is for the saved, we're saying then that this is not a salvation verse. Are you getting that implication there? That's what I'm saying. Again, I think if you take it as a salvation verse, you have some serious issues with the Bible, and I'll explain that. And that's where I've come to, all right? All right, why calling on the name of the Lord is for the saved not the unsaved? I'm going to give you six reasons, okay, and they're pretty much in there. I give you little words left out just to make it easy rather than you have to write everything down. But I will be kind, but I'll, and we won't read every verse in, in your notes, but you have it. And those are most of them are representative anyway. But why calling on the name of the Lord is for the saved, not the unsaved? Number one, because call is often used as a synonym for pray. Okay? And that shouldn't bother anybody at all. Because in reality, usually people are using that even in a salvation context. Ask. Jesus to save you, ask Jesus into your heart, call on the name of the Lord to be saved, right? It's, it's praying. So that's not a hard one. But look in your notes here, and this is just the selection. All right? It's not every occurrence in the Old Testament and New Testament. But notice here, it starts in Genesis 4.26. Um, it says, you know, there was Seth... And to him was uh, also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. And then then men began to what? Call on the name of the Lord. And we understand it as, oh, pray. Okay, not hard. Uh, Abraham built an altar in Genesis 2.8 and called on the name of the Lord. We're not thinking he got saved, are we? Here in that context, no, right? Genesis 13, 4. He builds another altar and called on the name of the Lord again. Okay? Abraham's not getting saved again. He hadn't lost his salvation and going back. He's praying to the Lord. Genesis twenty one thirty three, Again, Abraham called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God, it says. Deuteronomy 4, 7. We're jumping quite a bit here. Um. Moses is arguing here about how great God is. For what great nation is there that has God so near it, to it rather, as the Lord our God is to us for whatever reason, for whatever reason we may call on him. That's a benefit, right? You can go to God anytime, place, for any reason is what Moses is arguing in Deuteronomy 4. First Samuel 12, 17 um, Samuel, they just wanted to call a king. Remember, Israel wanted a wanted a king like everybody else wants a king and has a king. So he said, I'm gonna call on the Lord and he will send thunder and rain. And it's the wrong time of year for them to have thunder and rain. And God did that. But Samuel wasn't getting saved. He was what? Praying, right? Okay. Have you heard this? I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be. Praise, so shall I be saved from what? My enemies. Not my sins here. My enemies. By the way, that same verse occurs in Psalm 18.3. That's why it's in the back there. Uh, 1 Kings 8.52. Solomon's dedicating the temple. And he says, Lord, please let it be whenever they look toward the temple, that, that you will listen to them whenever they call to you, right? Again, we're thinking prayer. Uh, Elijah is talking to the prophets of Baal in the next one and says, call to your God and have him accept the sacrifice, right? Maybe he's in the bathroom. you know What's wrong with you guys, you know? He literally pretty much says that, right? First, Corinthians, and that, he's saying, pray to your God. Do what you need to do. Uh, 1 Chron- Chronicles 16, eight, call upon his name. Psalm 80, 18, call upon your name. We will call upon your name. 105, 1, Psalm 105, 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name and make his deeds known among the people. We would not consider that a salvation verse, right? It's appealing to us to do all of these things. Um. Psalm 116.13, I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. It's interesting, even if that salvation means what it, uh, spiritual salvation, it's interesting that there's an order there. We're going to talk about order later. Psalm 116.17, I will offer you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. I will call upon the name of the Lord. Isaiah 12.4, Praise the Lord, call upon His name, declare His deeds among the people, make mention that His name is exalted. Again, more of an evangelistic or at least a praise kind of thing. Isaiah 55:6, seek the Lord while He may be found, call on Him while He's near. All right, and then you have we jump all the way to Acts 7:59 um, because the occurrence of the idea of calling on as found in Joel 2 and quoted in Acts 2 and Romans 10 is only found 30 sometimes in all 30 times in all of the New Testament and this one Stephen calling implied on God when he's being stoned so it's used as a synonym for prayer no argument there easy to take we we would agree with that regardless of your view of these verses it's a It's a synonym for praying, right? By the way, it's translated cry, call, um, proclaim, it's announce. Interestingly enough, it's translated as well, meet and read, meet as in M-E-E-T, and I think it's like this. When you meet someone, you call out their name, right? Hey, Jerry. So you go out to meet them. It, over and over, you see that in the Old Testament. And it's kind of like you think of it as a verbal connection, not just a quiet handshake. Um, also reading, it implies that the reading is what? Out loud. You don't read the scroll by yourself. You read it for everybody to hear. Okay, which is true most of the time in the Old Testament. Okay, synonym, we all know that name, word. Why is calling on the name of the Lord for the same? Because who calls, there should be a, a quotation mark at the end of that, is used as a metonym for believers. Now a metonym means it's, it's a phrase that represents another word or a a group of people or something, so if you said and i'm a, I'm just grasping for an example right now, but harley lovers, hog lovers, what would you think of they're motorcycle riders or owners or whatever, some of them religiously <laughs> but but I'm saying that's a metonym right so th- You'll see this in the next point here, and they're actually very, there's a few in the Old Testament, but most of the occurrences in the New Testament are this metonym, as you'll see. It replaces, that phrase replaces the idea of believers, which you will see, I, and I think you'll agree with me. Psalm 86.5, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all Those who call upon you. Who's he talking about? Believers. He's using an activity of believers to represent the noun for believers. Again, that's a metonym. Psalm 145.18 The Lord is near to all who call upon Him, to all who call upon Him in truth. You see that? It's representing A category of people who pray in an ongoing way to God, which are believers. I'll strengthen my argument as I go, but for now, you'll see. Even the the verses in the New Testament will nail this down. Jeremiah 10.25, Pour out your fury on the Gentiles who do not know you and on the families who do not call on your name. Who would they be? unbelievers right characteristically people who believe in God pray to God right and it's not it's not a hard stretch to get there now look at the ones in the New Testament they're stronger than the ones in the Old Testament they're talking about um this is Ananias the one that God told to go talk to Saul and Ananias is saying, are you sure? Because this is the guy who has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. See that? It's used as a phrase. And I think it's a beautiful phrase. And it's a phrase that should exemplify and represent who we are and what we do. Right, We're dependent upon the Lord and we often call on Him. How about Acts 9.21, same chapter. Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem? What's he talking about? Saul chasing believers. Okay. Romans 10.12, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all Who? who call on him. Okay, we're going to look at that verse again a little later. 1 Corinthians 1, 2. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. You see that? It interchangeably uses saints, sanctified, and then he, he points outward from them and says, and all who call on the name of the Lord, using them interchangeably. So when you talk about other believers, those that call on the name of the Lord is a good way to refer to them. And then the last one here, 2 Timothy 2.22, flee also youthful lust, but pursue. Flee, but pursue, right? Flee this, but pursue these things, pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with... Notice this, not by yourself. This is kind of a uh, roundabout way to say you need other believers. It says, with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. You need other believers around. You need to pursue these things, these characteristics, these good fruits of the Spirit, if you will, with other believers, with others that call on the name of the Lord. Okay? You with me here? Does that make sense? And again, we're not getting into the roughs part till now. <laughs> okay? So, because of the clear teaching in the context of Romans 10. Let's close in prayer. Now, <laughs> I wouldn't do that See, so yeah, I've already built it up too much right so let's start out here and i've made a whole slide for this so the clear teaching of the context of romans 10 now people have used romans 10 13 and romans 10 9 and 10 profusely in evangelism i do not think either passage is for that I'm not going to address Romans 10, 9, and 10. I preached an entire 10-week series on Romans 10. So I'm not going to be able to collapse that down for you. You may be able to handle it, but I can't. Okay, so here we go. The commonly used verse, Romans 10, 13, simply, what, what's the word here? Quotes. Quotes. Joel 2.32, now what I want to show you, you do not have to be a theologian, you do not have to know Hebrew or Greek in order to figure this passage out. It's as easy as pi. Is that 3.14 or something? My other son has it memorized to it, what, I don't know how many characters. I got 3.14, I'm good. So it's easier than Pi. And I'll show it to you. It's, It's obvious. The first thing I want you to look at in your notes under this point is, what can you tell me about this verse by looking at it? I would say you can make two observations for Romans 10, 13. Now, I don't want interpretation. I'm not asking what it means. I just want you to observe the way it's presented here. Whoever means anyone. Okay, I'll agree with that, but that's an interpretation. <laughs> it has quotation marks. Hello, quotation marks means what? It's a quote. Now, we're smart enough. We've read Joel 2 and Acts 2. We're way ahead of the game. We already read all three of those, so we know it's a quote. Okay, but it's a verbatim quote from Joel 2.32, right? What's the other thing you can observe? What comes before the quotation? The word for. What does that indicate? If you walked into this room right now, I mean earlier, someone walked into this room and I said for, what would they be expecting? Hmm? Hmm? Cookies, because they know I have cookies. Four cookies. We, we were careful coming over. I checked it because I saw in the news that, uh, that an email. I get KCCI texts or whatever. Said there was a pile up in Western I-80. So I had Mary check. Four, I did not want to be delayed. I was already leaving late anyway. What does four mean? because it's an explanation. Four is pointing backwards. It's not giving new information because it's a quote. He's pointing backwards. Did we have to know Hebrew, Greek, or be a theologian to do that? I'm thinking fifth grade English, and I wasn't very good in fifth grade English, I'm telling you. It's there if you look. And people use this just like that, and it's obviously there for, and it's a quote. So, Paul, who wrote Romans, is trying to explain something else. He's not giving you information, he's proving something from the Old Testament for. He could say it in a long way. Joel says in Joel 2.32, a portion of whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And the readers were like, oh, okay, that makes perfect sense. Based upon what? What What he said before. So let's abandon our theological pursuits, our Hebrew, Greek, and all of that because Joel was written in Hebrew. And let's keep going here. Okay. Letter B. The immediate context makes Paul's point obvious. And I think you'll agree with me here. Because you already agreed with me that there's quotation marks and the word for there, right? So I'm not pushing anything. I'm not selling. I'm just telling. It's just there and you can see it, right? So let's do some more of that seeing stuff, okay? So verses 10. 11 and 12 that are underneath point number, letter, point number, letter B here. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. That's a quote, by the way, too, right? I think it's Isaiah 28, but I, I don't remember off the top of my head. Now look at verse 12. By the way, what did you say in um, verse, uh, uh, Dell said earlier, whoever means what? Okay. And notice what word is in verse 11. That whoever thing again. Right? So hold on to that. But look what he says here. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to... Help me on. All who call on him. Now, that parenthesis with the little squiggly line is there for me to remember that that's a present tense. Who are calling on him. Again, how are believers signified? Those that are calling, right? It's an ongoing activity. So there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord over all is rich to... You might want to underline all and maybe no distinction between Jew and Greek, and that's why you have notes you can scribble on them and not have to mark your Bible. And the same Lord is over all who call on Him, who are calling on Him literally. Okay? So, so far so good? That's the context. Whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame, verse 11, verse 12, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call on Him. Now, here's my question. What is Paul trying to... He quotes Joel 2.32 to prove what he just said. You get that? If it was a paragraph rather than a verse, we wouldn't do this, maybe. But look, what word in Romans 10.13, or if you will, Joel 2.32, because it's a portion of that verse, proves Paul's point. It's the same Lord is Lord over all who call on Him. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. What's the word he uses in Romans 10.13? From that quote in the Old Testament. What's the point of Romans 10.13? Say it again. Surely, whoever. whoever. You get that? Romans twelve or Romans 10, 12, he's saying there's no distinction. And here's my proof. The Bible says, if you're from New York, whoever. Or from down south, they spent four years in Georgia. All y'all. That's his point. It's not telling you how to get to heaven at all. And we've used it, oh, I'm saying we collectively, Christians throughout generations, have used it over and over to tell people how to be saved. And it's not the point of the passage. And you know what people have failed to do? Read verse 11 and read verse 12 when they're using verse 13, because every verse has a context. And if you understand Joel 2, you would know that that has nothing to do with spiritual salvation anyway. We presented that last week. And we'll talk about it just briefly here again today. Okay, you still with me? Nobody's thrown anything at me yet. And I don't think you have to. It's there. And by the way, Romans ten thirteen creates major conflicts if you think it's a salvation verse with all kinds of other verses that don't say that you have to call you don't even have to write. That's a joke, but we'll move on. Okay, letter C here. For whoever, circle that, underline it, draw a big arrow to it. That's the point that Paul is making from Joel 2.32. Okay? Now, two more points that explain this a little bit. Paul is not talking about what people are doing. He's not. His point is not call or even saved i could have put another one here what's going to happen that all he's using is the first part it's not what people are doing not calling that's not his point though he references it there but it's whoever calls is his point and but what what is he doing what is he pointing at it's who is doing it right that's his point point. and again we don't need to know hebrew or greek You might have to drink coffee because I drink a lot of coffee to do this. So, No, not really. You don't have to drink coffee. Sammy likes tea, right? So all you have to do is what? And I'm not trying to offend your intelligence. We just quote verses without looking at the context. All we have to do is look. Romans 10 is very hard, and I'll just tell you that. But all you have to do is look at the verses before and after before you use that verse. Um, right after I got out of the army, right before the dinosaurs died off, um, I went to a college in Indiana for just a semester a Bible college. I had a really good Greek program. So, But our theological professor was like a little confused because he's, and he admitted this one, but he would use 1 John 1.9. I'm giving an example of how to use verse wrongly, okay? First John 1 John 1.9 says what? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And it finally dawned on Him because of the context but also the guy said, what if I forget some of them? He was using it as a salvation verse and it, he had to literally back out when he was talking to somebody in a prayer room or something at church and change gears and say, you know what, that's not a good passage to talk about salvation because it's not. It's about believers. And by the way, Every one of those verbs in that verse is present tense. If we are confessing our sins, He's faithful and just to be forgiving our sins and to be cleansing us from all unrighteousness. That's a believer thing, okay? And it's easy to do that. I'm just telling you that. But we have to be careful because if I go back to last week, if we have the map the wrong direction, it doesn't help anybody. If you're not accurate in your presentation of the gospel, Your intentions don't make up for wrong interpretations. Okay? Now, people might get saved in spite of that, but not because of it. Okay? What's next? Letter D. That sounds like a good one. How about this? The logical and sequential order presented in Romans 10, 13, and 14. Okay? And again, Always read verses 11 and 12, but to understand it even better, why don't you read a couple verses after? You know, just go for the long haul. Five verses. And I'm being facetious, of course. Notice what it says here. For, I guess I got verse 13 in there. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now notice the order of what happens here. How then shall they, and underline the word call in whom they have not what? So what must come first? You cannot pray to someone you do not believe in. Now, they may be a false god and they don't exist, but you have to believe that they exist or you won't pray to them. You understand? But from a believing standpoint, how can they call on him in whom they have not believed? Okay, now then you're then you're set up with which one says you either believe that belief does not save and I'll I think I'll nail you to the wall on that before we're done if if you believe that that belief doesn't save or you believe that call saves but that means you can be a believer but you haven't called so therefore if you die before you've What do I try to say? That that you call, then you're going to hell rather than heaven. Okay? One of many other logical things, and I'll talk about those here. How shall they call in him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? So logical. Call, believe, hear. How shall they hear without... And by the way, it's a proclaimer. It's not a pulpiteer necessarily. It's someone to tell them, right? All right. I've already stated this in ways, but I'll give you the two points. Well, belief comes before calling on the name of the Lord. In this passage, you can't get away from that. How shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed, right? Belief comes before calling on the name of the Lord. Calling then is an action of one who already Please. So far, so good? Again, you don't have to agree with me, but I'm saying the context says something different than most of the ways this verse has been used over the years. And again, I'm not blaming people. I have been one of those. But I'm saying we can't keep using it the wrong way. It's not meant for that. All right. Here's the next one. I don't have anything for you to fill in here, but this is a review. Paul quotes from Joel 2.32, and we looked at last week these specific. Joel 2.32 is an end times prophecy that will happen at the end. After all these things, then this will happen, right? And I, I was amazed. I found all kinds of verses that talk about the physical deliverance, but we don't have time tonight. Specific prophecies, specific point in time later on. Read Joel 2 if you don't want to read the whole three chapters of the book. A pervasive pouring out of the Spirit. All of you will speak or prophesy. Not just a few on Pentecost, right? All of you, your young, your daughters and sons and your old men and all of this, your men's or maids, all of them. That hasn't happened yet. And one day, like I said, you won't ever have to have a teacher because God will give you that and that will be just amazing. Specific atmospheric phenomena, the moon made the blood, there's all kinds of things that, that have not happened and those all happened before the last one. The physical rescue was Joel 2.32, right the end of that passage. Specific prayer, who call, right, whoever calls, Specific place. For in Mount Zion in Jerusalem, there will be a great deliverance among the remnant our Lord will call. Do I not have people in there? Okay, I don't. I didn't get it in there. So it's specific people as well. All right? Questions so far? Sammy, do you want it? Pass around the cookies again. Go ahead, Don. Are you going to take us to uh, what we need to believe? Um, not tonight. Okay. I will give you a summary at the end if I have time, though. And it's easy, right? Because you have to believe in something. Right. Yeah. So I will help you with that. And it's actually very easy to remember. I have to do that because I don't remember otherwise. So I'm saying that for I've developed things like that for my memory. Okay, and letter F which is at the top of page 3 there. There's no page numbers, but Now this, the connection between evangelism and those of Joel 232. I want I want to help you see what Paul is saying here. Okay? I've quoted the same verses again that we just looked at. But let me, let me ask you a question here. It has nothing to do with the first lesson we had. But notice this. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Aren't you glad you came tonight? Amen? Cookies or amen all the time. Okay. Romans 10.13, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then he goes on to say this. But, and he quotes he's quoting to prove whoever. Then he goes on to say, How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in, in Him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? You can underline every one of the, or circle the they's. Who are the they's? And it has nothing to do with our first week, which is who are they and why do them matter, right? Not not to do with that. Who are they? Because Paul is saying they, them. How will they hear? Who are they? In context, hmm? Well, yes, unbelievers, but they is specific. He's referring back to somebody. He hasn't identified anybody. So he's referring back, right? They has to refer back to somebody. Who's they? Is he talking about the Greeks, the Gentiles? Because he's trying to break the, the distinction. Saying there's no difference between Jews and, and. Indirectly, yes. But I think there's a closer correlation. I don't disagree, but I think that's even closer. And remember, where is he quoting from? Joel 2. Who are they in Joel 2? Oh, the Jews. It doesn't say Jews. It says who? It says what? Whoever. Hmm. Now listen closely, because this might make your head hurt. But this is where Paul is thinking. How will they, at the end of time... Call on him at that specific time, place, all of that, right, that I just listed here. How will that specific people call on him when, if they, in the future, have not believed? And how will they believe in him, though they people in the future, the whoever way in the future, t- pointed, talked about by Paul in context... How will they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? He's developing and it just blows your mind because we think, you know, I really need to talk to my neighbor about the Lord. And Paul's like thinking, yeah, because we got to keep this going. There's people to be saved in the generation where we won't be around, and after that, and after that, until then. We need an evangelism program and a mission effort that goes all the way to the end of the tribulation period. Does that make sense? If people aren't constantly being shared the gospel and God saving them and then passing it on, you wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't be here today. I don't know Paul. My kids probably think I'm old enough to have gone to school with him or something. But the Apostle Paul, I mean, we're talking about two millennia later. People have been faithfully sharing the gospel. And Paul says that's what we need to do. We need to have an ongoing effort, and it's not a one-shot, share it with your neighbor. It's all over every place at any time because we have to cover the future, not just the present. That's a motivation for evangelism because people have to be saved now so people can be saved in the future. Right? See what two cookies does? Just think if I would have eaten four. (laughs) Okay. All right. Any questions up to that point? We got a few minutes. I will think I'll finish this in a few minutes. Okay. Number four. Because Romans 10 teaches salvation by belief. All the rest of Romans 10... Teaches salvation by belief. So if you say Romans 10.13 is salvation, you're ignoring not only the verses before and after Romans 10.13, but I've listed them for you here. Romans 10.4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who calls. I'm sorry, I I misread that. What does it say? Believes. Believes. Verse 10, uh, verse 6. But the righteousness of faith, by the way, I dislike this in translations, but faith is the noun form of the word believe. You can translate it belief. And I don't know why they use faith, but it confuses people. Because it's throwing terms around. It's interesting, but if you put an A in front of the Greek word, you know what they have to call it? Unbelief. Because there's no unfaith in the English language. Right? So I like using consistent words. So that's what I'll do at times. For the righteousness of belief speaks in this way, and I'll just keep going because of time. Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, that God has raised them from the dead, you will be saved." Again, I don't have time to unpack this, but there's a lot behind it. He builds on Deuteronomy earlier in the passage. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. There's a solid statement there. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Which one? You can say, are you saved by confession or belief? And I would say the Bible overwhelmingly says belief, so it has to mean something else, and I'll leave you with that for today. Verse uh, uh, 11, for the scripture says, and this is where he's quoting Isaiah 28, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame call is almost not used at all except for that metonym that we saw, those that call on the name. Verse 14, how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? and how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And then everyone knows this verse, Romans 10, 17, so then belief, if I can use that word, the noun form of the word believe, comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And he quotes uh, Isaiah you know that they'd not believe what I said or whatever. Okay. So that's Romans, that's just Romans ten. But I let me add to it here because Romans, the book of Romans, teaches salvation by belief. Now, if you want to get into the context, read all sixteenth thirteenth sixteen chapters of Romans. Because guess what? Paul spends Five, at least four and a half, but you could probably say five and a half chapters explaining salvation. And then he goes into sanctification. Then Romans 9 through 11, he's actually discussing the nation of Israel directly. And I might point out that chapter 10 is in the middle of 9, 10, and 11. So you have to understand the bigger context. Right of what's going on. And then he has service and you know spiritual gifts, chapter twelve and onward, you know, kind of thing. So he's already discussed in very much detail salvation. Here's a few representative verses. Paul says in chapter, this is under point number five here, chapter one, verse sixteen and seventeen, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power to salvation for everyone who and what is it, calls or believes? He only gives you one choice. Believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. For the, in, the, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from belief to belief. And again, I'm just replacing those words. As is written, the just shall live by belief. Quoted from, what is it? Habakkuk. Found in the New Testament three times. Uh, Romans 3, 21 and 22. Now, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets even the righteousness of God through belief in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe I mean he kind of nailed it and kept nailing it look at chapter 3 the end of chapter 3 is just full of this Verse 24 to 26 of chapter three, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation, a satisfactory payment, if you will, um, by his blood through belief, to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness and that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has belief in Jesus. He just doesn't land the plane. He wants to keep talking about it. And by the way, he goes all the way through Romans 4 talking about it. Here's my favorite passage in all the Bible, if you need to know. Romans 4, 3 through 5. For what does the scripture say? Abraham what? believed God by the way Genesis 15:6 as a reminder all the way back there and it was accounted to him for righteousness by the way that's a quote from Genesis 15:6 well it's a paraphrase from Genesis 15:6 now to him who works the wages are not counted as grace but as debt now here's my favorite verse in all the bible but to him who does not work because works don't work for salvation right but to him it doesn't work but what believes on him who justifies and maybe my favorite word in all the Bible because it's the only word I qualify for with regard to salvation justifies the what you see it the ungodly and I I'm in I'm a sinner I'm ungodly he justifies the ungodly His, what, Mm -hmm. belief is accounted for righteousness. That's an accounting term. Del knows that. It's put to your account. Chapter 9, verse 33. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. And then verse 11 of chapter 13. And do this, knowing the time that now it is high time, to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than we first... doesn't say called, says believe. Now, back page. This is a smattering. Because Scripture overwhelmingly, and I'm talking about the whole Bible now, right? Scripture overwhelmingly teaches salvation by belief. And again, I can use the term faith. I just don't think anyone knows what that is. You know, they can't define it. Belief's a little easier. Genesis 15, I already uh, said that. That's where you first see this. And he believed in the Lord, and he, God, accounted to him for righteousness. Again, all the way through Romans 4 too. He uses Abraham all the way through Romans 4. John 3.18, this is one of the clearest verses in all the Bible. He who believes in him is not condemned. It doesn't say called. It doesn't say list any of the other verbs that people use in tracts. Either Jesus, because this is Jesus talking, didn't know what he was talking about. I'm not willing to say that. I believe he knows exactly what he's saying. He who believes in him is not condemned. He who believes not is condemned already because he has not believed. In the name of the only begotten Son of God, John three thirty six. he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. Leaves out all the other verbs, Right? And he who does, uh, does not believe the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him, dwells on him. John 5, 24, most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life, shall not come into judgment, but it is passed from death to life. John 20, 31, but these are written that you may call, no. Go down the aisle, no. Be baptized, no. And we... Think being baptized is important, but it doesn't get you to heaven. It gets you wet for a reason. You know, it, it's an example. And that believing you might have life in his name. Acts 4:4. Who however many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. And then this is the other clear passage: John 3:18 and Acts 16. You cannot get a clear passage. A lot of people like these Romans 10, 9, and 10 or whatever. And it's like, why are you using something that's very obscure and never repeated anywhere else? Why don't you get the most clear question? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And their response was, well, here's the five steps. Here's the 12 steps. Here's the four steps. Why don't you call on the name of the Lord and you'll be saved? You know why? Because that isn't what it means. What does he say? Believe And that's all he says on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. No caveats, right? Nothing to add. Now, again, this is, the back of your notes is demonstrating, because look down here, in the New Testament alone, I have two paragraphs here, there are 241 occurrences of the verb believe. In 217 verses, ask me how I know. Though not all verses refer to salvation, the vast majority do. I counted, 90% are talking about salvation. That's overwhelming. And that's believe. The next one is the noun, which is belief. There's 243 occurrences. I'm only estimating eighty to ninety because I didn't have time to go through all those. But as you saw here, a lot of them are just believe and belief are kind of swap back and forth in conversation. So, so I'm going to leave that up because the next thing is just the QR code. I'm going to answer Dell's question real quick. If you want to write these down real quick, what do you need to believe? Because it isn't just believe in nothing. Believe in Jesus. Well, I believe in a Jesus. Here they are, they both, S P S P. easy to remember, right? First one, you will agree with, and if you don't agree, ask your spouse if you're married, a sin problem. You have to believe that you have a sin problem or you don't need a Savior, right? The, the wrath of God abides on us, so there's more to say, but sin problem, second is another sp special person okay special person jesus is the son of god he's not just a man all right he's a special person he came he was virgin born he didn't have any sin he was a sin the sinless son of god who took on flesh and number three is the substitutionary payment and i will add resurrection because you never ever ever see the gospel shared it isn't that jesus died he died and rose again right but a substitutionary payment and resurrection jesus what does we mean by substitutionary jesus died and you see this over and over in the new testament for us he died in our place those are three essentials, I believe, Dell, that need to be believed. Otherwise, salvation can't take place because you're not believing in who Jesus is, right? So. Is that okay? Go ahead. Thank you, no. Yeah. Um, several years ago, I was with Muser and he was telling a fellow that we were witnessing to that there was a Congress on World Religion. And out of 200 and Ted or whatever. <laughs> no one yeah. at all. Yeah, uh, it's man's. Your third point. Yeah, man's argument that somehow I can make it there myself, which kind of defies number one as well. It eliminates the need for number two and number three. So yeah, Erwin Lutzer is brilliant. I like it. I really appreciate this. I was dealing with someone last week who um, does not really, really believe. Right. Yep. You know by profession, and then you can see if you're obedient by behavior. But you can't really determine, you know, one person's bad as another person's good, maybe, or something. So, how many hate me now? I'm telling you. Tonight. Let's limit it. Let's <laughs> narrow it. Narrow it down because. Anytime, yeah. So. Did you get a cookie? <laughs> if you stop bringing the cookies, that number could go up. So. <laughs> That's my wife. You don't want my cookies. so. But anyway, my passion is to rightly divide the word of truth. But it also clears away confusion. Because if you can't share how to be saved, that means you can't really have assurance yourself. And I wrestled with assurance. I grew up in a Christian home in a... GRBC Church, I heard all of the Ask Jesus in your heart, and all, come down the aisle, and all that kind of stuff. And with well-intended people that loved me, right? Not people that hated me, but all of this evangelists, different things like that. And it's like, I really had to wrestle with it till I was a young man in, in the army, and I'll share my testimony another time, but where it, he finally nailed it down and said, you know what, it's believing, not remembering or whatever it else. Anyway, I'm going to close in prayer. Lord, thank you for our time tonight. I pray that you would just bless us as we seek to know your word and then live by your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.